0: this is palm sunday we we have referred to this as palm sunday of course for many many years and we obviously we refer to it as palm sunday because this is the day we remember as Jesus coming into the city of jerusalem riding upon the colt and so i want to share a little bit with you on that theme this morning let me let, let me just share this word with you The word is providence, providence. It's a word that we don't talk about a lot. It's a word apparently that appeared in the English lexicons around the 14th century. It refers to divine guidance and care, God's guidance and God's care, providence. There's a couple of other words that are related to it, having to do with prudence and having to do with thrift, and it conveys the idea of laying aside in or in store provision for a period of time in which it is needed. So the idea of providence in that sense is uh, to provide that which is needed and to be thrifty and prudent with regards to laying it aside or laying it in store. But I want to refer to it this morning with regard to the first meaning, which is divine guidance and God's care, which I believe is... um, is so transcendent and so all-encompassing and affecting every detail of our life that sometimes it's difficult for us to see the complexity, simplicity, the overarching allness, if I can use that word, of it. So we'll look at this this morning and uh, we're living in a period of time in which the idea of God's providence and his providential care and his governance over all things. Sometimes it's difficult for us to see that in the circumstances that surround us, but nevertheless it is true. It's always true. But we live in a society where it's kind of a, if you like, random selection, this idea of randomness, this idea of some kind of cosmic lottery, so that many people feel as if they're living in a chance environment, an absolute chance environment. That uh, there's an appearance of design around us, but actually there is no design. It just appears to be that. These kinds of th- this kind of philosophy, this kind of ideology, is foreign to a biblical understanding. It's really foreign to the faith of our fathers. It's it's a kind of ideology that has come in the last few generations, perhaps but it's not an ideology that was familiar with those who have uh, walked this way ahead of us and in many ways have laid down a path by their example for us to follow because they believed in providence. They believed in God's guidance and God's care over us. The um, concept of Palm Sunday, this particular day, the day that Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on the colt, its relationship to the timing of the crucifixion, all of the events of the crucifixion that had to do with uh, thought processes of many, many people, uh, the priests of Israel, the religious leaders of Israel, that it would coincide, the crucifixion would coincide, of course, with Passover, that it would not only coincide with p- Passover, but it would be the fulfillment of Passover. And every Passover that had been commemorated for hundreds of years, this would be the, familiar, the fulfillment of it. The birth of a, a colt, the foal of a donkey, the timing of all of that, the owner of it, the disposition of the, of the owner, the attitude of the owner with regard to the colt, the idea that this was a very special colt, Uh, These are things we don't know, but we know with absolute uh, certainty that there was something about that colt in the mind of the owner that was, it was reserved. It was as if the colt had a reserved sign on it and the owner knew it. But all of the details of that, we have no idea. But yet every detail, every minute little detail of all of these things is knitted into the fabric of God's providence. It's impossible for, impossible for us to think of these things and look at these things as we will just a little bit this morning without placing ourselves into that equation and saying, well, what about me? What about my circumstances? Am I some kind of cosmic accident? Am I involved in a cosmic lottery? Are the events that occur to me in my life, are they just happenstance? And the answer to that from a biblical perspective perspective is no they are not. That's a very vast subject and we'll just touch on it very uh, briefly and lightly this morning but this is the area I want to I want to bring to you this morning and under the topic of Behold Your King because this is what Palm Sunday is is Behold Your King. I'll go back as we refer to Providence. I want to go back to about perhaps 500 and 20 or 30 years before Christ. And this is a period of time in which many of the bright stars of Judea, Judah and Benjamin, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, have been taken into Babylon. And now they are in, that, uh, in the Persian Empire and it's under Darius, uh, the Persian leader. And there is a young man by the name of Zechariah and Zechariah is likely from the priestly tribe or caste, if you like. And in any event, he, um, he is referred to in Scripture as a minor prophet. And he comes onto the scene and has a prophetic voice and he prophesies. It's amazing the content of the prophecy of Zechariah. And yet, how do you wrap your mind and understanding around what he's about to prophesy? And the relationship of what he will say, and we'll read it just in a moment, and the relationship of what he would say and how that that would have a bearing on this very day that we refer to as Palm Sunday. And yet he is looking at it from a prophetic perspective because he is anointed of the Holy Spirit and as anointed of the Holy Spirit, he writes various things. And we find this throughout the entirety of the Old Testament scriptures, both the major and minor prophets. And so this is what he wrote—a portion of what he wrote, found in chapter nine and verse nine. In this, in this passage, we're we're going to find that there's a fulfillment, as recorded in Matthew, also in John. But all of the gospel writers refer to this. But here it is, Zechariah nine and nine. He writes, "Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king comes to you. He is." Just and having salvation, he is patient, he is meek, he is lowly, and he is riding on a donkey upon a colt, the foal of a donkey. More than 500 years before this would be fulfilled, it is written about by Zachariah. Why did he write it? He wrote it because the all-knowing God influenced him to write it. In our Christian theology, of course, an understanding, we have, as we go back over a period of time, where theology is 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 being understood, an understanding of God's Word, and it is being understood in an understanding of God and the Godhead. And we have come to a place where we realize that the uh, teaching of the Word of God, both Testaments, old and new, Describe God as one, but yet within the Godhead, or that which is described as the divine essence, there is a plurality of persons. And the plurality of persons is described as God the Father, God the Word, God the Holy Spirit but there's one divine essence. My thoughts on this is that there's been a period of time. See, there are many basically different uh, periods of time within the church age, I believe, but there's a period of time that has occurred in the church age in which there were very unique individuals who were called and set forth, just as in the Old Testament era, very unique individuals were called and set forth and they were known as prophets. Prophets. And there was a period of time in which the prophets were called to prophesy. There was a long period of time between Malachi and the beginning of the New Testament era. So there wasn't prophecies occurring all the time, but there was a season or a period of time in which the prophetic word came forth. I believe likewise in this New Testament era, there's been a period of time in which individuals have been called forth with magnificent ability to understand. An insight into God's word to formulate basic theological truths and understanding and position. And if you go back and read, carry very carefully many of these very gifted individuals. Now, I'm not saying they knew everything, and I'm not saying that they had a understanding of, of various things that have happened in the 21st or 20th century. But yet, when it comes to the foundational thinking, the foundations of theological thought with regards to God, the divine essence, and who God really is, magnificent, absolutely magnificent. So it appears to me as if there was a period of time in which there were towering intellects who appeared on the scene that God gifted in such a way that they could explain and write it down. And I'll tell you, if you go back and read the writings of some of these individuals, it's just astounding. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. Even in this 21st century, we think we are so educated. I think the average individual could barely understand and barely, barely keep up with what they're saying. What they're saying is magnificent. And they write about the essence of God. So it is God the Father, God the Word, God the Holy Spirit. What we find on Palm Sunday is that God, the Word who has become flesh, is entering into Jerusalem. And He's entering into Jerusalem in a certain way. And He's entering into Jerusalem to bring about salvation, to win salvation. And it's absolutely magnificent. And this will be the greatest warfare, if you like, that the world has ever seen or will ever see. This is combat. This is domination of the adversary. And yet uh, people he comes and the form in which he comes is lowly and poor, if you like. And so looking from the outside. But don't think just that riding on a donkey, because throughout the Old Testament era, kings and prophets and those of high esteem spiritually often rode in, rode on donkeys, not horses, you see. There was a sense in which the proud and arrogant rode the horses but the servants rode on the donkeys. And so this was recorded by Zechariah 500 plus years before Jesus came. In Acts chapter 4, we find this very interesting passage. It says, and because it tells us, Zechariah would say to us that, Behold, your king comes to you. He's just and having salvation. He's having salvation. He's triumphant and he is victorious. Now, the people, of course, of Jerusalem were looking for a certain kind of Messiah to come. The purpose of the Messiah coming at that point in time was different from what they had thought. And I think oftentimes we miss a lot of things that God is saying to us and doing among us because we are thinking and expecting something to happen in a certain way. But what God is presenting is a different way. So he's coming and he's having and he has salvation and he's coming to be to be victorious and he's coming to be triumphant, but not over Roman government, not over the Roman Empire, not to set up a literal kingdom in the world yet, but to bring salvation, to bring deliverance from sin, to bring freedom from the adversary, to take away the fear of death. To make it so that there is no such thing as death. The, death. the sting of death has been removed. So that to be absent from the body now is to be present with the Lord. Death, where is your victory? To take that, to take that all away. To provide in its place salvation. And in Acts 4 it says there's salvation in and through no one else. The salvation that He brought could only be brought by Him. But remember, He's God. He is God. He is the Word made flesh. And so it says there's salvation is through no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by and in which we must be saved. He is is the only one that affords and offers salvation. This is the gospel message. Matthew chapter 21. Let me read to you Matthew chapter 21. We're coming to a fulfillment now. It is referred to as the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And again, I want to say that the thoughts of the people, the majority of the people, and their thinking, their expectation, their great celebration and joy, their exuberance, their minds did not comprehend and understand what was happening here. Not even did the disciples understand what was happening here. At this moment, it was happening. So if you find in your, in your experience that there are things that you struggle to understand and struggle to comprehend while it is occurring, you're not alone. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a rational, brilliant, wonderful explanation for what is occurring. When they came near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples on ahead who were the two that he sent on ahead. I don't know exactly. And he said to them, go into the village that is opposite you, probably the village of Nob. The village of Nob, which was a priestly location where priests resided. And you could see the entirety of the city of Jerusalem from this elevated village called Nob. He said, and at once you will find, as soon as you go into this village, he said, you will find it once. As soon as you enter in, he said, you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them, untie them and bring them to me. Some of the gospel writers just refer to the colt. Other gospel writers refer to both the donkey and her, and her foal, the colt. Both of them. But there were two. Now if anyone says to you, if, anything, if, if anyone says anything to you, you shall reply, the Lord needs them. So if the owners begin to question you as to why you're just kind of untying and walking away with their property, then you say to the owners, the Lord needs them. It says, and he will let them go without delay. He knew all this. He saw all this. He understood all this in advance. He is God. And he understood all this and knew all this. If you had an opportunity to talk to the owner of the foal and the colt, if you had an opportunity, will you one day have an opportunity to talk? I believe you probably will. I believe you will. You may well have that. Certainly our questions with regards to the background of this individual will be known at some point in time. But I know this without having spoken to him and without having received any special information on the subject I know this I know that that was a very special animal and I know that that owner was a very special person and I know that that owner knew that that animal was for a special occasion and that when he heard those words the Lord has need of him of them He knew exactly what that meant. And within him, he most likely would have said, I knew this moment would come. I knew this moment would come. Remember, no one had sat upon this colt. No one had had ridden this colt. Then it says in verse 4, This happened that which was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled. And he's referring back to the prophet that I just read. Saying, Say to the daughter of Zion which is the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's coming to you and he's lowly and he's riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And both these, um, the statement refers to two, two areas in the Old Testament scripture. It refers to Isaiah chapter 62 and verse 11. And it also refers to Zechariah 9 and 9 that I just read to you. But the, the whole statement here is a reference to both passages from Isaiah and from Zechariah. It says, Then the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats upon them and he seated himself on them, the clothing, now some of the... Go- and, and I'm amazed how many people find that they want to spend their time trying to... Well, it said in this gospel that he rode on both of them and it says over here that he rode on the one of them... And uh, they say he, there were two. And this one says there's one. So there's this uh, contradiction. There's this big contradiction. You see, they don't understand. Looking to find some kind of flaw. And if you're looking to find a flaw, the way in which God has placed His Word before us is that if you want a flaw, if you want to fabricate or construct a flaw around something, you can do it. But you'll do it to your own destruction. And that's what's happening. So the people who desire to seize upon this to avoid the government of God in their life can do that if they choose to do it. Now I say it's not reasonable for them to do it. But if they choose to do it, they can do it, but they'll do it to their own destruction. It's long been referred to the synoptic gospels. Synoptic gospels means the idea, means that you can look at the event from various perspectives. It's actually evidence that the that the gospel writers did not get together in a sense of, well, now you better make sure that you say exactly what I said. If you want to get people to fabricate evidence, they will get together ahead of the time where they're giving their testimony and they'll make, compare notes. Now, you better say that he had blue eyes and blonde hair because I'm going to say he had blue eyes and blonde hair. And if you say he had brown hair and blue eyes, which doesn't exist, but then see, we, we'll be accused of our testimony will be uh, at odds with each other. You don't find that in the Gospels. You find in the Gospels the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the anointing of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate various areas of a event as it occurred. And some Gospel writers illuminate this and others will illuminate that. And you, as a, a person who understands and seeks to understand, you realize that there is no inconsistency. in, And if you want to understand it properly, then you must read it in a way that harmonizes. And the way that harmonizes is that there was a foal and there was a donkey. And the foal was a colt. And no one had ridden on the colt. And they untied them and brought them. Now, some say they probably untied the colt and the dam uh, followed the colt. I don't know. They both came. They both came. Says he rode on them. Did he ride both of them? He could well have. He could well have. It's no big deal over these things. He could well have. Remember, no one had ever ridden on this colt. I don't know about donkeys, but I mean horses. You've got to be careful. <laughs> so it may be that they put his garments on, uh, on, on, on the donkey. and He may have ridden her for a short period of time. He may then have gotten off and they may have gotten on the car. Co- I don't know. You, you read the scriptures in the way they are intended, which is the way they harmonize with each other just as Ruth comes to the piano and plays it and she harmonizes the notes. When I come and play on the piano, there's no harmonizing of the notes (laughs) because I don't even know what the notes are. And the difference between the way she plays it and the way I would attempt to play it would be very noticeable. And the difference between someone who's trying to read the scriptures to find fault and error and inconsistency is very different from the person who has the mind of Christ and who comes with adoration and respect and has the illumination of the word of God very, very different. So then, then the disciples went and they did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their coats upon them, and he seated himself on them. And most of, the crowd kept, uh, most of the crowd kept spreading their garments on the road and others kept cutting branches from the trees and scattering them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him kept shouting, And this was just a joyous occasion. Remember, there were many people who followed Jesus as he came down from Galilee, and as he came into Judea, and he came through Jericho, and as he began to ascend up the mountain towards Jerusalem, and there were many people, many tremendous events that had occurred. He had healed many individuals. And many of these individuals who had been healed wanted to follow him. And many of them had entire families who were just celebrating this great event that had happened. Imagine having a loved one who's blind, been blind for years, deaf, blind, crippled, lame, um, leprous, and now they're completely whole. And here you have this pilgrimage of people. And then also, along with that, You have as he ascends towards Jerusalem and Bethphage. These are places on the outskirts of Jerusalem, basically. And Nob. And you have people coming out. And there's a tremendous excitement. And much of this great excitement has to do with expectation. Something momentous is about to occur here. And they're so excited about this. And so the crowds went ahead. They were shouting and and praising God. They were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. To the son of David. Basically referring to the Messiah. And they said blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And they are basically quoting now from Psalm 118. So they are quoting from Psalm 118. And many of the religious leaders come along. And they realize that these people are all referring to Messianic scriptures. With regards to Jesus and this event that is occurring, and they're saying to, to Jesus, you better tell them to be quiet. You better tell them to stop this. And he said, if they were to stop, you remember, the stones would cry out. Because what they are doing is biblical and scriptural and prophesied, and it must occur. Now, here's the question that people have. Well, if something is prophesied that it will occur, is there choice involved in it? And the answer is yes. Yes, I'm not planning to do this this morning, but I can find and share with you many passages of Scripture that have to do with the prophetic, but also choice, where there's choice involved in it. And you could say then, the choices have been known in advance. It says, And when he entered Jerusalem, all the city became agitated, trembling with excitement. And they said, Who is this? Who is this that's coming? And the crowds replied, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And they believed that they were on the verge of a messianic event. And they began to cry out using Psalm 118. Let me go back and read just a few verses from Psalm 118. It begins uh, so many portions of this that have become famous to us. Basically, the motivation for songs being written, choruses being written. It begins, O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy and loving kindness endure forever. And then a little later it says, Out of my distress, I called upon the Lord, the Lord answered me and set me free in a large place. It says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can men do to me? What can man do to me? I'll not read it all, but just selected verses. A little bit later it says, They compassed me about. Yes, they surrounded me on every side. But in the name of the Lord, I will cut them off. It says, They swarmed about me like bees. They blaze up and are extinguished like a fire of thorns. In the name of the Lord, I will cut them off. Then a little bit later it says this, Open to me the temple gates of righteousness. I will enter through them and I will confess and praise the Lord. And then, this is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. Again, listen to this one. So prophetic. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief of the cornerstone. That's referring specifically to Messiah Jesus and that he would be rejected by the Jewish leaders, by the religious leaders. But yet he would be the head of the cornerstone, the building, the new edifice. It says, this is from the Lord and is his doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has brought about. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Do We sing that from time to time. This is the day. Would you like me to sing it for you? How come you're laughing? (laughs) This is the day which the Lord has brought about. We will rejoice and be glad in it. That's what these people were doing. That's what they were doing. Verse 26 Blessed is he who comes here. Oh, listen. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord you who come into his sanctuary under his guardianship. The Lord is God who has shown and given us light. He has illuminated us with grace, freedom, and joy. Decorate the festival with leafy boughs and bind the sacrifices to the offering to be offered with thick cords to the horns of the altar. It says, you are my God and I will confess, praise, and give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you, and that's what the people were doing. They were just so excited. And following Psalm 18, and the religious leaders became aghast, how can they be saying this with regards to this man, this individual riding in on his donkey? Tell them to be quiet. don't let them say this. They're blaspheming. And he said, "If you want them to be quiet and if they were to be, the stones would cry out the message, because it must be spoken. Do you ever feel sometimes and realize that there are certain things that must be said? Even if no one would listen to them, they still must be said. Do you know that there are men and women who are charged by the Lord Jesus to speak a message into this world and into this culture that will not be heard? But it must be spoken. And if they didn't say it, the rocks would cry out. And sometimes when the rocks cry out, it's judgment and calamity and we wonder why it's occurring. But it's because the rocks, the creation is crying out. Because the people have not spoken the message that they were given to speak. And the rocks have had to cry out the message. But you don't want to hear the rocks crying out the message. Because it's not pretty when that happens. Listen now, that answers a lot of questions that you have in your mind. It answers some questions. It says, you are my God and I will confess and praise and give thanks to you. You are my God and I will extol you. Do you feel like extolling him? Do you feel like praising his name? then praise His name. Don't make a spectacle of yourself. But just praise His name. And He will reward you. And He will hear you. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. For His mercy and loving kindness endure forever. So this is the Psalm 118 that was the motivation for all of these people. And as, as He rode on the colt and on the donkey into the city of Jerusalem and all this excitement occurring. We're about to be delivered from the Romans, folks. You watch any day now. But they were about to be delivered from the bondage to sin. They were about to be made sons, children of God. A path for them to enter into God's presence was being made and everything Jesus had done from his arrival here in this earth as a human being was a part of creating and making that path but this was to destroy the works of the adversary and to make atonement for sins for the sins of Adam for the sins of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob for the sins of David, Solomon, for the sins of you and me and all those who will come upon the earth. This is the triumphant entry. This is what he did. John also wrote with regards to this event. He said the next day a vast crowd of those who had come to the Passover feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, and as they went, they kept shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he, and praise to him who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus, having found a young donkey, rode upon it, just as it is written in the scriptures, Do not fear, O daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And his disciples did not understand and could not comprehend the meaning. Listen, his disciples could not comprehend the meaning of these things at first. You would have thought they would have known this. Wouldn't you think that? Wouldn't you think that they could have read Zechariah? Wouldn't you think that they would have been expecting this event to occur? But they didn't. It was hidden from them. Did you ever ask yourself, why are these things hidden? Why are so many things hidden? If he wants us to understand, why does he hide them? But Jesus answered the question, he said, there is nothing hidden but to be revealed. See, to understand the things of God, they must be revealed. And until they are revealed, they are hidden. Now, his idea in hiding them is not to secret them so that human beings could never understand them. The idea in secreting them or hiding them is so that under the right conditions, human beings can have them revealed to them. But if the heart is hard and arrogant towards God and rebellious, it is blinded and can never receive these things. It's impossible. Is it God's will that they would not see them? No. It's not his will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Repentance is the key to being able to see or have it revealed. So it says his disciples did not understand, could not comprehend the meaning of these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified and exalted after he had risen, they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done by him. And think, did not Jesus say to them, when He, the Holy Spirit, has come, He will illuminate and bring to your memory and your remembrance all the things that I have done. He will take the things that are of of me or mine and He will disclose them and reveal them to you. Isn't that what Jesus said? That's exactly what happened. It's wonderful. Let me just read a couple of passages of Scripture and then I'll ask Ruth to come. Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 5. Isaiah the prophet, major prophet. And he writes, in, and remember now, this. These, these prophets wrote God's word. They wrote God's word. It says, I looked and there was no one to help. This is the Lord speaking. He said, I looked and there was no one to help. He said, I was amazed and appalled. There was no one to uphold truth and right. and So my own arm brought me victory. I did it myself. I did it myself. My own arm brought me victory and my wrath upheld me. And this, of course, is prophetic words with regards to the atonement, the atoning sacrifice that God made becoming man. In order to do that for us, I'll close with this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It says, For you are becoming progressively a- acquainted with and recognizing more strongly and clearly the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're coming to understand his kindness and his gracious generosity, his undeserved favor and his spiritual blessing. You're coming to understand this. He says, in that, through, in that though he was so very rich, he was so very rich, yet for your sakes and our sakes, he became so very poor. He laid aside the riches and became for our sakes very poor. In order... That by his poverty, by his poverty, you might become enriched and abundantly supplied. And that is providence and it's for you and it's provision laid aside for you and for me. Behold your king. Behold your king.